0: Okay, everybody. Obviously, you know what we're going to be talking about in this intro.
1: The X-Files?
0: Not the (laughs) X-Files. We're going to talk about that in the episode. (laughs) But this cold open, holy crap, so much is going on.
1: Okay. Well, David, what is going on?
0: The government is confirming UFOs in episode three.
1: (laughs) Haven't they been confirming UFOs since the beginning of the pandemic?
0: Yeah, pretty much. But like 2019, I think, is when they came out with those really grainy, crappy uh, videos that could be anything. Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of rehashing the same ones.
1: That's what I thought. Okay, so guys, if you haven't caught up, on Sunday, 60 Minutes released some footage and interviews with some ex-military people.
0: A couple fighter pilots and then a dude who was in tip. I think they called it.
1: I don't know what that means.
0: I forget, but he's, he was part of the UFO study group in the military.
1: Oh, was he the spooky guy? The guy who was, I'm definitely a spy?
0: No, that was the, the skinny guy with glasses. Yeah. Uh, he's high up in the DOD. Oh, okay. No, the guy I'm talking about has to be legit because I take all of mm-hmm. my a- advice mm-hmm. on everything from men who look like they're in an over 40 ska band
1: that's exactly what he looked like oh my gosh I was waiting for your comment because I was like you have to make a comment about this guy he looks legitimately like he was in an over 40 ska band <laughs> I would not be surprised if when we're able to go places that he was on the trumpet
0: he's not just the guy who dances around he's like in the band
1: I want to hear what you had to what your thoughts were on the 60 Minutes coverage, and then I will go into a couple of things that I found on Reddit because I definitely wanted to see what the range of commentary was.
0: First and foremost, the two pilots. The lady who looked like a high school English teacher and the guy who was very interested in seeming legitimate.
1: He just really loved to be sitting casual in that chair.
0: Yeah, with his jeans and blazer. Yep. Uh, His
1: legs spread.
0: <laughs> I love the fact that she said she really didn't want to be on national television, and yet she was on national television. Because, I don't know if you know this, but it's really easy to not be on national television.
1: We're doing it right now, unfortunately.
0: We're. <laughs> whenever you are listening to this, we're probably going to be doing it then, too.
1: But what did you think about the legitimacy of the claims and the footage and the level the high level of authority these individuals had
0: i'm going to start with the description they gave was there was like a bubbling in the sea that mm-hmm. they saw which and was and this is the two fighter pilots the two fighter pilots the bubbling in the sea that they saw which was very obviously a methane gas pocket escaping the ocean floor it happens all the time we know about it it's not a secret It's probably responsible for the Bermuda Triangle conspiracy thing.
1: You can't say that if you don't know. Did you do any research on the Bermuda Triangle versus methane gas?
0: I watched a Discovery Channel thing about it once.
1: Yeah, but doesn't the Discovery Channel also say that giant megalodons megalodons exist? exist? (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching Shark Week during our honeymoon, (laughs) it was fun. (laughs) Yeah anyway so anything else
0: uh yeah so after that he says that the thing mirrored him but Mm -hmm. she did not corroborate that because i bet her experiences the thing was mirroring her because it was obviously a mirage.
1: That sounds <laughs> likely.
0: Trick of the light. If she had seen the thing mirroring him, you would think she would have said yes, that's what I saw too but she didn't she didn't have anything to say about that.
1: I agree. At one point they did I don't have a whole lot to add to these two because I don't believe them <laughs> right. I believe they saw something. okay so I, w- I will retract that I don't believe them. I believe they saw a couple of things that were unusual. And maybe that counts as an unidentified flying object.
0: Oh, I mean, that fits the description perfectly.
1: But I don't believe it's extraterrestrial, what they saw.
0: I believe it was a moron.
1: I also believe that when they went back to the ship and told their higher-ups, they made a point to say that they debriefed the higher-ups like that was unusual. <laughs> they were doing training runs in fighter jets. Right. What you do is you do your run and then you go talk to your superior officers. That's just the line of command and how it works. Mm -hmm. So that's not unusual. But the way that they stated it sounded like it was unusual. (laughs) And then the next thing they said was they let people around the ship know and it spread like wildfire, which means that they were ridiculed by literally everybody on the ship.
0: Exactly. And then they talk about how they picked it up on the radar 60 miles away, like a second later. Mm Mm-hmm. In this experimental brand new radar system that they were testing?
1: Yes. They say in one of the clips, so we watched a couple of clips, and in one edit they didn't include the, it's a brand new experimental... Right. telescope but in the other one they did include that so I would like to see the transcript of the original which I haven't looked up but they did say it was an experimental telescope and they are telescope radar 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 and they were testing it for the they were using it for the first time yeah. so anomalies will happen like a little white speck
0: that's 60 miles away in less than a second
1: yes yeah. I didn't feel like anything new came out of this specific newscast <laughs>
0: No, they showed a couple of the older ones that we've already seen, videos of the target locking on and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So I want to share a couple of things that I found on Reddit. Um, if you're on Reddit, we are there as the cast files. I have a range of people on the r slash UFO, r slash aliens, r slash high strangeness, and r slash aliens, again, that really run the gamut. The first one is from Ur. Reeve. And and this poster's title is Controlling the UFO Narrative for the Next 70 Years. It is really well detailed, laid out in multiple paragraphs, like essay style, with headers and links to other supporting documents. And it has the most comments so far of any of the ones that I've seen, except maybe the last one and you'll see why when we get there. This person includes background, says that there are no debunkers that have been on the news as of yet. (laughs) Obviously. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye, and Mick West. This person calls them out specifically. Talks about how the mainstream media is going to be talking about this a lot. And then has a conclusion that says, (laughs) I'll just read the last little bit because this is really long. What is playing out right in front of our eyes is a marvelously careful Carefully planned well- orchestrated and well-coordinated x out intelligence disclosure effort the end goal of this effort appears to be to maintain complete control over the narrative for the next 70 plus years keep in mind that they've had 70 plus years to come up with a proper strategy now that sounds reasonable but our government has never been able to do anything for 70 plus years and <laughs> kept keep it under wraps something this big it's not co- there is not an organization coordinated enough to do this
0: it depends on what exactly we're talking about here because i'd say the military industrial complex is definitely able to control a lot of narratives for a long periods of time
1: 70 plus years
0: absolutely
1: without people knowing anything
0: i mean it's not i'm not talking about without people knowing anything because we know all kinds of things and it doesn't change anything are, are you talking about specifically they're covering up that ufos or that alien contact is real
1: I'm just letting you know what you're not Reeve said on on Reddit and that I don't believe the government is coordinated enough across any of its factors to... I'm
0: talking about just controlling a narrative, though. I think that's easy to do. Okay. Especially since I think the end goal of this narrative right here is to put another trillion dollars into our military.
1: One thing that I did find interesting is that some people are saying, interesting timing with this now that we're getting close to uh, space tourism. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Oh, this is going to get a lot of that money flowing. Can you imagine? There's aliens. If you get on this million-dollar trip that'll take you into space for one hour, you might see aliens. That Mm. is definitely going to be a selling point.
0: I'm more leaning towards, oh, the F-35 didn't work. Well, you know, we got these things now flying around, so we need to do another trillion and a half for the F-36. Maybe it'll fly.
1: Well, they're going to do that anyway. So another one that I got is off R-Aliens, and this is by Legal Weasel. Oh. And I pulled these because they're different perspectives. So this one, the first one was a coordinated government narrative. This one is why admitting existence of aliens is hard for governments. So still kind of in the realm, but Legal Weasel says if existence of aliens is disclosed, it comes with certain presumptions. And I want you to listen to this list of five and then tell me what you think. I'm not gonna read the entire post, but one, if we are not alone, then we are not unique. And there are likely many species, our universe, multidimensional. This has been allegedly documented.
0: (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly
1: documented. But I do like the idea that if we are not alone then we are not unique. So I guess I've already given my opinion about that. Two, they have been coming here for years. Thousands if not longer. Three, their existence, interactions, etc., are understood by a very small number of people, and those people have been or still are lying about aspects of this, meaning credibility of disclosure is questionable. Four, people disappear or are abducted, and some who are returned are hurt. We are told it is not aliens, when post-disclosure, sometimes it will have been. And five, they can influence, control our minds, and defeat our weapons systems. So think about what, what your reactions are to this. My initial reaction is I understand how people get sucked into these things because some of this makes sense on the surface and some of them are wildly out there but they're all in this one list. So if I agree with him on point one that if aliens exist it means that people are going to have to see themselves as not as special and unique. Do I also have to believe that they are mind controlling us?
0: Absolutely not because one if we have to see ourselves as not special and unique I see that as more of a problem for religion than governments
1: hmm what about nationalism though
0: well nationalism's nationalism you're not going to stop those people
1: but it is a unique we are unique situation
0: right but i mean people think steve bannon is superior to idris elba no those people are not going to think oh well now that there's aliens i'm not cool
1: why would religion be different than that
0: Well, because there's nothing about aliens in the Bible. In any of the
1: Bibles. Mm, I don't know. I haven't read them all. So then we have two more. Uh, I know this intro is going pretty long, but I have two more that'll be pretty quick. So then on High Strangeness, Waves Waving (laughs) said, Question. Website run by aliens? A while back I stumbled upon a website allegedly hosted by aliens in a mountain in California? It included names of these beings and also a message about telepathy, even including a PowerPoint guide for practicing telepathy. Can't find this link anymore and figured someone on this sub may have it. Please let me know. I just added that it doesn't have to do with anything involving the UFO coverage on Sunday, but I hope somebody finds this site for this person.
0: There's links right there.
1: I know I didn't click on them in case they were
0: scary. Yeah.
1: But I just thought that was fun. So then we have some just believers who are out here believing. And then my very favorite last one is on r slash aliens. Wise words from Dale Bunch of Numbers is what oh, this is titled. Nice. So it is a comment on a tweet about what we know about UFOs, how the Pentagon has handled reporting, reported sightings. And Dale Bunch of Numbers says, y'all continue to believe in aliens. If that makes you feel any better, maybe that makes you feel secure or something. I I don't know, but there's no such thing as aliens, never has been, never going to be when people start believing the government, they messed up, and it don't matter what.
0: Right on, Dale. Bunch of numbers.
1: So that's what I have to say about the UFOs currently. Do you have anything else to say about this before I give you your present?
0: Oh, no, I forgot about the present. Let's get to the present.
1: Okay. Well, please let us know what you think about all of this. Now a different segment is, I got you a present, I want you to open it and tell them what it is.
0: All right. Feels like a t-shirt. Looks like a t-shirt. It's a... Oh my god. <laughs> what the hell? I
1: know! <laughs> I noticed that when I sat down. Uh, Not a visual co- platform. Tell them what it is.
0: It is a beautiful three fox molders and the moon. Oh, and a UFO in the middle of it too. That is amazing since I am currently already wearing my three keyboard cats and the moon t-shirt. <laughs> that is wild that is I cannot believe that (laughs) happened thank you for my t-shirt it's wonderful I love it
1: you are very welcome (laughs) 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 the timing of you wearing that t-shirt when I was already going to give you this t-shirt was just fantastic Fantastic. chef's kiss alright well I guess we're going to get into squeeze now
0: listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. Not this time. Oh, not this time. Well, the listeners might be extraterrestrial. Well,
1: that's true. Hello.
0: <laughs> this is The Cast Files. I'm Dave Reed.
1: And I'm Kristen Riley.
0: I'm a nerd who has never seen The X-Files somehow.
1: And I watched it when it originally aired. How novel.
0: So now we're watching them together, one by one, and discussing them with you, spoiler-free.
1: Today we're watching Season 1, Episode 3, Squeeze. It
0: originally aired on September twenty-fourth, 1993, to a viewership of 11.1 million, holding strong from uh, week two. It was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, uh, our first writer of color, and directed by Harry Longstreet.
1: Longstreet, yes! It's one of the streets I grew up on, so now you can get into all of my secret passwords. Awesome. (laughs) The synopsis today is Mulder and Scully investigate a serial killer who has been active for nearly a century and is capable of squeezing his body through narrow gaps hold the thought of serial killer because I have some interesting information later in the podcast. All right. Where we begin is in Baltimore, Maryland. A businessman is walking down the street. We don't know at this time, but we'll find out later. His name is George Usher. As he's walking down just a regular busy street, we zoom into the, uh, what is it? The drain,
0: the storm drain, the storm drain. Yes. They really, really telegraph it. They show it like three times before anything ever even happens.
1: They showed it so many times that I started playing a guess what's going to show up next. I was thinking maybe a little red balloon, obviously, because you know you gotta do that, you gotta do that connection. But then they kept doing it, and I was like, I don't know, maybe a raccoon will show up.
0: Well, it wasn't a raccoon, it was Nicolas Cage.
1: (laughs) It was Nicolas Cage, which, you know, is my second favorite after raccoons.
0: You stopped at second favorite, and that was just of anything?
1: (laughs) My second favorite, period. No further questions. Thank you. Moving on. next time that we see anything we we are now in George Usher's office building he calls his wife says that it's 8 30 p.m. he's in the office the office is empty he's just leaving a message so he's there by himself no one answers the phone it's just him he leaves his office to go get a cup of coffee when he comes back his door is suddenly closed from the inside right after he walks through and then there's sounds of a struggle and the door handle repeatedly rattles
0: just jiggling
1: Just jiggling, like in Jurassic Park when the dinosaurs were first figuring out how to... Oh, actually, the dinosaurs were better at at jiggling the handle, weren't they? Yep. The noises abruptly end as a large dent is smashed in the door, and so does the the jiggling. And then we're inside the office where we see Usher's coffee cup turned over, and he lies dead on the floor. And then it zooms into a vent. And the vent is being screwed back in place from the inside. So we don't see who's screwing it in.
0: They do this uh, great pan across the desk that is very well done. You can see George Usher's body in like a reflection of something on his desk. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Good job, uh, Harry Longstreet. But in the reflection, there's no blood on his shirt. There's no, like, wound from, you know, him having his liver torn out with a bare hand.
1: Oh, spoiler for the next scene.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming you guys have already seen this because... It's the episode we're talking about. So it'd be really weird if you didn't watch the episode before listening to us talk about
1: it. (laughs) Or have any idea what was coming up. (laughs) Okay, so now we go into Act 1. We're in Washington, D.C., and FBI agents Tom Colton and Dana Scully are at a restaurant having lunch.
0: Donald Logue! One of my favorite actors who just is somehow death to great TV shows.
1: Yes, you mentioned that. What else was he in?
0: He was in this fantastic show called Terriers that got one season. Him and, forget the actor's name, but he played Renee on True Blood.
1: <gasps> oh, True Blood. <laughs> My other second favorite. Your other second favorite?
0: <laughs> okay, it goes raccoons, Nick Cage, and True Blood tie. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, and there was one after that that only got like a couple episodes that I, I can't quite remember, but like he's he's great. He's a good actor. And then he's on these TV shows that are great but somehow just get killed prematurely. <laughs> Until then he just went to Gotham because it's a paycheck.
1: <laughs> well, fortunately he didn't do that to the X-Files.
0: <laughs> this this would be a short podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so they're they're talking over lunch, they're catching up he has an assignment that he's curious about picking Scully's brain over. He says that he's been assigned a case that involves three victims, the latest being George Usher, who we met in the opening sequence, and each were killed in a location where there were no obvious entry points, and found with their livers missing, the signs indicating that they were ripped out by bare hands. The no obvious entry points in a giant office building doesn't really fly for me. But because
0: there's tons of obvious entry points? Yes. Everywhere? There's just doors.
1: Everywhere. There's doors. There are so many doors. There are probably thousands of doors in this building.
0: And specifically the door to his office is like smashed because we watched it get smashed. I'm thinking entry point <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes i think colton isn't a very good fbi agent
0: not like their friend uh, Mar- Jay jr
1: yes marty neal while they're talking about all of this stuff they're catching up and gossiping a little bit about former classmates colton brings up marty neal who had recently been promoted to supervisory special agent and the way that he got promoted was he lucked into it after the world trade center bombings
0: i don't know how he would luck into that case and i don't know why any would get promoted after that case. They didn't catch Osama bin Laden <laughs> for the World Trade Center bombing the first time. They didn't catch him the second time for a decade and a half after. Scully asks him if he wants her to bring Mulder, but he says, "You know, well, uh, if he wants you to do, if he wants to do you a favor, go for it." Okay. So he clearly wants Mulder there, yes. but he clearly does not want to say out loud that he wants Mulder there.
1: The whole point of this luncheon is so that Colton can ask Scully to bring Mulder along.
0: Right. He's like, I, I, this is weird. I need the weird guy.
1: But then he, you're right. He doesn't want to admit that he wants the weird guy. And then his whole ego takes over for the rest of the show. For the rest of the episode, he's like,
0: ugh, weird guy. <laughs>
1: And after we establish that he has a favor to ask Scully, but he doesn't want to ask because his ego won't let him, we show up at the crime scene in George Usher's office back in Baltimore, Maryland, where Mulder talks to Scully about why he wasn't personally asked to help in the case. And he was not really surprised, but a little put off, I guess, when Scully mentions that he has an unflattering reputation and asks if he knows that He is called Spooky. He has that little David Duchovny half smile, so I don't think that he doesn't know about this. (laughs) I think he finds it pretty funny that Scully now knows so, while they're talking, Colton arrives, apologizing for being late. He's formally introduced to Mulder by Scully. He asks Mulder, in adjusting an off-handed manner, whether he believes aliens were responsible for the murder.
0: Oh, he says, little green men.
1: And Mulder really is fantastic. He plays up to Colton's expectations of him as just this, weird, this weirdo, really, and expounds on his own otherworldly ideas. He corrects Colton when he says, little green men. He says, gray
0: gray reticulons are gray <laughs> from the beta reticuli galaxy that are that's nearby
1: and he goes into a, he launches into a whole backstory for these reticulons
0: and how much they love liver
1: Yes, and how much liver and onions you wouldn't guess how much liver and onions goes for <laughs> on reticulin. So it was great. Then it zooms away from Scully and Colton, who continue talking in the background, over to Mulder, where he, he somehow gets led over to the vent. Well he sees a little metal he, shard. He's
0: uh he's doing good investigative for. It. Unlike anybody else there, no. who's just wandering around.
1: Literally, no one is wearing any protective gear at all at the crime scene.
0: No, it's a, everybody's just walking and talking, like they're in a, a Aaron Sorkin movie or something. <laughs> and he's like, "Ooh." I'm going to look for bad person evidence.
1: Bad person evidence! Woo! It came back! (laughs) So he finds it. He finds an elongated fingerprint on the vent opening on the outside. So we are led to believe as the viewers that whoever crawled through left the fingerprint, even though we don't see anything.
0: Right, we did see the screws being unscrewed from someone inside the vent. Yes.
1: So we know that somebody was inside the vent, and now we know, we could have assumed somebody was outside, but that's an elongated fingerprint. Colton Dismisses it because of his ego. Next, they go back to the X Files office, and Mulder shows Scully fingerprints that tie the recent murders to a series of ten related murders in the Baltimore area reported in an X File.
0: That means it's their case.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Scully protests that Colton never mentioned these earlier murders. Mulder suspects Colton is probably not aware of them, as five of them occurred in in 1963. I was going to say where but I'm gonna just butcher that name. Do you know how to say that? Paul Hatton. In Paul Hatton Mill in 1963. And the previous five occurred in 1933. And although there's no fingerprint evidence, there was an unsolved murder involving a victim whose liver was ripped out in 1903. That's when fingerprinting was just coming into favor. So they've identified 10 murders, 11 murders, over a hundred years almost. And so Mulder concludes that from the pattern of the earlier murders that two more are due to be committed this year. Scully's first thought is that Mulder believes the recent murders are copycats of the earlier ones. Mulder says that's not possible because the fingerprints point to a single killer. Scully tries to figure out some scientific way of the fingerprints being exactly the same, because that makes sense. You would try to do that, but it's nothing holds water. She's just kind of spitballing.
0: The killers are probably related. Yeah. That's why their fingerprints look the exact same.
1: That's not how that works. Even identical twins don't have identical fingerprints. So the two argue about who the case belongs to, and Mulder insists that the murders were in the X-Files long before they were assigned to Colton, which means that the X-Files department gets to investigate and owns it. But Scully is still hesitant, so she agrees that they can basically split the time. She'll help out on Colton's case, and Mulder will also keep investigating. So now there are two simultaneous investigations.
0: Scully at this point says something about they don't want your input. Oh, They yeah. don't want your theories. That's why they've got you locked down here in the basement. <gasps> to which Mulder says, you're down here too. And she does not like that.
1: She doesn't. She, she hasn't identified herself as being in the basement forever. Right. She's still under her own assumptions that it's a temporary post.
0: Right. So I'm curious. She's been with the she's been out of the academy for two years before she gets assigned on there. What did she do to get locked away in the basement with Mulder?
1: That's a good question.
0: I'm I'm excited to find out. That's a, that's a mystery for me.
1: So you don't think that she was just assigned because they want to she was a great profiler or field report writer?
0: Yeah, and then they want her to go to the basement because you're so good at being a profiler.
1: I love it. Speaking of profiles, Scully types up the psychological profile of the killer and presents it to the VCS agents. The way that they do this scene, I really like it because they show her typing it up on a super old school word document. What is it? That was
0: cutting edge.
1: Word processor. That was
0: 1993. That was cutting edge. (laughs)
1: yes i know but now it's crazy looking so they show her typing up her report and then they talk over to explain it and then it fades into her sitting at the table giving her profile to the vcs agents who are all men
0: but another good uh, transition scene harry longstreet
1: yes very good on her recommendation agent fuller colton's superior organizes stakeouts of the crime scenes what she decides is that they can't know where his next crime will be committed. They will go back and hope that he returns to his former crime scenes.
0: I would like to know, is that real? Is that a real thing? Because it seems just like a huge leap in logic.
1: I don't know why this would be the next logical step. Beyond, they have no other next logical steps. Right. Scully says she believes the killer will return to one of the crime scenes. They don't explain why. As we've covered, we don't understand why either. Fuller suggests that Scully work overtime with his team, making a reference to her work in her usual work in jest and draws laughter from the other agents present, but discomfort from Scully. Basically, they're all good old boys and they suck. They're being playground bullies and they're supposed to be high level FBI agents. It's just garbage. One thing that Scully does mention in her profile, in her psychological profile of the killer, is that he must have. Above average intelligence, which they double down for later, <laughs> I believe that the only reason a detective would assume someone had above average intelligence is to make themselves feel better because they haven't been caught yet.
0: Oh, absolutely. We see in this episode, Toomes doesn't have above average intelligence at all. He barely shows any signs of intelligence. Right. He's almost an animal.
1: Yes. He's working on instinct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So them saying, "Oh, above average," and you are dead on with that. They are just trying to make themselves feel better for not having caught this guy, because he, yeah, he barely shows any intelligence.
1: He does he say any? Oh, he does talk. He'll he talks here in a minute. We'll get to it. But beyond that one scene that's coming up, does he say? No,
0: the lie detector is the only. Are the is is the only thing he ever says in the entire movie or movie uh, episode?
1: And he doesn't do anything that's outside of what an. Animal would do to hunt prey.
0: Right, he's almost an animal.
1: And he's not even a calculated. It's, we're supposed to believe he's calculated, but I don't see beyond the keeping of trophies,
0: which isn't
1: actually calculated.
0: No, and I'm gonna say that there's probably we could look it up and see an animal that does that too, like uh, ferrets. Ferrets steal stuff all the time.
1: Lots of animals steal stuff. Yeah. What are those birds that like shiny things?
0: Crows, ravens. I don't know. I'm not an ornithologist. You're not. (laughs) No, but I like to say ornithologist. It's
1: a nice word. That's a really good word. All right, so next we're at the crime scene, the latest crime scene on the stakeout. It's 7.15 p.m., just so that we know time has passed. Scully is alone in her car at a stakeout in the parking garage of Usher's building. When she hears a faint banging noise, she gets out of her car, searches the area, and is startled when Mulder comes skipping out from behind a wall.
0: Just Prancing.
1: He was he was absolutely prancing. If he had done a little twirl after that, I would have not been surprised. <laughs> that would have been I would have great. If, I would have been like, yes this this is the this is the energy I'm getting from this this moment. He's also eating sunflower seeds and just just skipping around. And he says, "You wouldn't shoot an unarmed man, would you, Coppa?"
0: Uh, in the fancy 1930s voice. Coppa,
1: we have we have nothing to comment on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Well, I had a couple of things to say here because <laughs> he comes there just to tell her that she's wasting her time. He doesn't bring her any good information. He's not on the stakeout. He nope. just came to that parking garage to pop up and go, hey, this is a waste of time. Also, unarmed man, you're an FBI agent. Why don't you have your gun? Where's your gun, sir? Where is your gun?
1: Do you have nothing else to do? Maybe his shows weren't on that night.
0: Oh, yes. His uh, whatever his stories are.
1: His stories, yes. Way back in ancient days, you couldn't record anything or watch anything on demand, so you had to be available at the time, which is how I watched The X-Files the first time. (laughs) So, let's say it was a Tuesday night and there was just nothing that he regularly liked to watch. Maybe that's why he was out.
0: Nothing good on TV, I'm going to go taunt my partner.
1: (laughs) Nothing to keep him home. I'm going to go dance around a parking garage. (laughs) Um, While he says that he's going back home, after being there for no reason... (laughs) They hear uh, something moving in an air shaft. He runs back to Scully, who calls for backup and follows him to the the chute. They start yelling at the chute. And I, once again, was excited to see a raccoon.
0: Nope, none of your favorite. (laughs) And then, unfortunately, also, it's not Nicolas Cage. It isn't! So not your second favorite either.
1: It was basically a wasted scene, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) None of my favorites were here.
0: It's kind of a letdown for a lot of reasons, because then they just arrest this guy. For cleaning the air ducts. They just arrest him because he's there. Mm-hmm. there. He has done nothing that they've seen.
1: They, there is no evidence and if it's under suspicion or just to question him they skip that part. They just keep it all <laughs> right out. Also backup arrives really quickly so where were the other murder scenes?
0: Were they all in the same building?
1: It seems like they were in other parts of <laughs> or the parking were they, garage.
0: <laughs> were they just all putting all of their eggs in this bag?
1: Okay Actually, we can back up a little bit. If all of the previous murders had happened in that building, staking out that building makes sense.
0: I'm pretty sure they say earlier in the episode they're different places. They do. Yeah.
1: Because one of the things that Mulder is taunting her about is that he's already figured out this puzzle. He doesn't need to come back here, which is actually true. So why is he there? So they can catch him?
0: Yeah, I I guess.
1: And go to the polygraph scene?
0: Yeah, I I suppose.
1: The whole scene is... I'm glad Mulder's dancing.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's that scene.
0: Glad he didn't have anything to do with that.
1: <laughs> now we're in act two. They've taken tombs back to... That's what the... Weird long guy is called. Uh, They've taken him back to the FBI Bureau in Baltimore, and they conduct a polygraph test. What I would like to input here is this is a very long scene that doesn't give us a whole lot, but I would like everyone to know that in federal court, polygraph results are inadmissible.
0: Because they've been proven to not be uh, worthwhile at all
1: so just don't and here in florida for anybody who's listening from florida and also for our benefit they can only be admissible in court if both parties involved in a case agree to use the results as evidence
0: why would that ever happen
1: here's what i think why it would happen is because people watch a lot of csi and other cop shows and they still use polygraphs in the cop shows So people who only know about cops and legal things through media think that it's actually still working.
0: Right. But if the polygraph proved that you were lying, why would you say, okay, you can use that as evidence? I don't know. And if it proved that either party, it's proving one of the parties wrong, I not proving, but
1: actually, it's evidence
0: against one of the parties. So why would both parties agree to it?
1: Because they wouldn't have you agree to it after you've taken it. They would have you agree to it before you take it really dumb just saying so there's this whole scene and he's saying that he's not the murderer it's the only scene that we see Toomes talk
0: the only time he speaks
1: so Mulder seeds a couple of strange questions in there the other agents throw a fit again once again we've seen these agents in I think this is the third scene we've seen them in and in every single scene they've been more juvenile than I've ever seen our 14 year old behave. After that, Scully and Mulder are leaving and Scully wonders why Mulder is pushing his theory even though it's obvious the others would never believe it. And to this I say, what did you think he was going to do, Scully?
0: She keeps being surprised by him being like, this is supernatural, this is aliens. We're in episode three. You've known him at least three weeks. (laughs)
1: This is what he does and of course he's going to push it. This is his whole MO. This is why he's in the basement. This is why you're writing up field reports on him. This is why Colton wanted him on this case and then changed his mind apparently because he didn't like it. Mulder is doing nothing out of sorts for Mulder.
0: Yeah, he's just being Mulder and she's surprised. surprised.
1: She also, Scully also remarks that he is acting extremely territorial, which I thought was an interesting comment because I don't think she actually, think it was one of those things that she said and then realized she shouldn't have said it because she didn't really feel that way. But it was interesting because she and Mulder are partners, whether or not she wants to admit it to herself just yet, but they are partners and this other group of people some whom she has gone to school with are are not they're they're outsiders to this group so with Mulder behaving like Mulder and Scully feeling a little bit embarrassed by it whether or not she admits it
0: i see okay
1: she's taking his not outbursts because he doesn't do that. He actually just seeds the questions and then stands by his points. She is basically taking out her embarrassment on him. That's really good. Thank you. I could be be a profiler. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Everybody is above average intelligence.
1: (laughs) If I can't find them. If I can't figure out something about them. Mulder tells her that he values the fact that even if she doesn't always agree with him, she respects the journey of their investigations. Which I think is... A phenomenal response, especially since we've seen so many of these professionals acting like, I don't want to say like children, because again, I'm not seeing children do this. We're seeing all these professionals acting like they are above even polite society norms.
0: Just full of vitriol towards Mulder, Be- even though they clearly, at least one of them, maybe the rest of them, did. May, oh, maybe that's why Donal Logue flips, because even though he didn't want to admit he wanted Mulder on the case, he got Mulder in on the case, and then his superiors and everybody around him teased him, teased him for it, and that's why he flips on Mulder. Interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. We need to stop saying this. Is, this is being childish, and start saying this is being professional men pack mentality.
0: Hyenas pack mentality.
1: Because <laughs> if you get out of line, they're going to pull you right back in real fast. And a lot of times, it's these tactics making you feel belittled. Oh, it's ridiculous. So I really like that when. Scully is embarrassed because that's what these guys have been trying to make her feel. Mulder comes back and is actually the professional. He is the adult in the room in this situation. By saying that he respects her because she doesn't have to believe everything that he believes. It sets Mulder apart from the hyenas.
0: Right, because if you're not acting like them, they don't want you. Yep. Yeah,
1: okay. It's a really good distinction.
0: Yeah, it is. That's very good.
1: It's pretty subtle, but I caught it because... I have above-average intelligence. Yes. <laughs> okay, so then he says that um, after they have this discussion, it's actually a very short discussion, but I thought it was important, and I think it will be important throughout their budding partnership and friendship. He does say that he accepts her continued cooperation with the violent crime section if she wishes to rejoin them. And she admits to being curious as to what the, what other evidence has convinced Mulder that Toombs committed the murders from years ago. This is kind of Scully going olive branch here. Normally my training and my science brain would say, go with the victim's crime unit, but I also respect where you're coming from. So what makes you so sure that this isn't just a Can you say standard serial killer?
0: Yeah, sure. Why not?
1: So then they go to the FBI basement, and Mulder digitally elongates Toombs' fingerprint, which they picked up, well, they got from him before they did the, the polygraph.
0: Cutting edge 1993 technology.
1: It was wild. So he elongates it and matches it up against the other... Fingerprints from the other crime scenes. It was, you know, good police work, I guess.
0: Yeah, if I if I completely distort this fingerprint, <laughs> I can make it look like this other
1: fingerprint. That's what they do. And while they're doing that, Toombs is after his next victim. We see a guy named Thomas Verner. He is at home. Toombs is tracking him and squeezes down his chimney. The next time that we see any of them is Act 3. Verner's body is... It's just a body. Missing a liver.
0: He's just another victim of the same guy.
1: Again, plenty of entry points into a house.
0: Right. It's a house.
1: It's just a residence.
0: Doors and windows.
1: He chose the chimney because he could.
0: Really, he could have just went
1: there's, there's so many entry points.
0: <laughs> Become a lockpicker. <laughs>
1: right. It's, none of these places are places you can't get into if yeah. you're really determined.
0: There, none of them are, are Fort Knox.
1: No. So, at the scene, Colton suggests the latest removed liver might be placed on the black market. Colton has lost his mind
0: at this <laughs> yeah, point. He really has.
1: Do remember that these livers have been ripped out of bodies. And that's not how you do a liver transplant. That's not how you harvest organs. Right. <laughs> Johnson, hit one of his partners, or his his boss, I guess, scoffs at this since the liver has been ripped out. And it's just like, you're... You're losing your mind, Colton. I wish he had said that. As Colton is over there fluttering around like a nervous little bird, (laughs) Mulder and Scully arrive. Colton tries to stop Mulder from entering the crime scene, but Scully stands up to him in a very solid manner that he will understand and he stands down. She basically uses his ego and ambition to make him stop being this fluttery little nervous bird in the corner and let them in. Colton is irritated and leaves. Scully reads, begins to read a profile of Mr. Verner but Mulder cuts her off having already found another of Tooms's elongated fingerprints on the fireplace. Did they really need that to figure no. out that the crimes were similar?
0: No, I think the just the guy not having a liver pretty much tells you exactly what it is.
1: You know, the profiling definitely has some big holes in it, but those, <laughs> those two <laughs> seem like they would... Two businessmen, livers ripped out of their bodies. Probably the same person. I, I would say in the same city within I don't know how long this has been a day or two Mulder is searching through old records with a microfiche projector which is always fascinating for me to look at because I've never used one but it's just a weird giant machine
0: I was probably using one at the exact same time David Duchovny was using. <laughs>
1: What Mulder is looking for is he's searching through census records from 1903 concerning tombs. The tombs name, tombs family, anything that'll connect tombs to this location and the other murders. Scully shows up. She notifies him that not only has tombs' listed address turned out to be fake, he has not returned to work since his arrest. Looking really bad for this tombs guy.
0: Shocking. Right.
1: <laughs> they spend some time going through the microfiche and make the really good, solid point that. If they don't find him before he kills one more victim, they might not have another chance until 2023.
0: The far, far, far future of 2023. Mulder says that, oh, you'll be head of the Bureau. So, if they continue to bring out new seasons, we can find out if she's head of the Bureau in two years.
1: They have brought out new seasons.
0: I meant if they, I said if they continue.
1: Oh, you're right, because I don't, when did that start? 2018? But
0: I don't think they kept going. We'll find out when we get there.
1: Right. No spoilers because we haven't seen those. Yeah. Scully informs Mulder that she has found the current address of the investigator of one of the murders in 1933. Next scene is at Lynn Acre's retirement home. They talk to retired detective Frank Biggs. He tells Scully and Mulder about tombs. This setup is really interesting to me with how they've set Mulder... On a very low seat and he looks like a kindergartner listening to a story being read to him in circle time.
0: Oh wow I didn't I did not pick that up.
1: Scully is sitting in a regular chair. Detective Frank Briggs is sitting in a wheelchair so seated height and Mulder is sitting so much lower than everybody. Oh wow. He looks like it's circle time.
0: Huh I was too busy thinking that guy looks really good for being in his 90s.
1: (laughs) Yes. So this guy, uh, Briggs, is supposed to be in his 90s, I guess.
0: I did some math. He said he retired in 1968 and was a cop for 45 years. That means he became a cop in 1923. So he's got to be 20. If you put him at 20, that means he was born in 1903. So he's 90 at this point.
1: (laughs) And this, this actor... Is probably 68. sixty eight. Yeah, I wouldn't even give him sixty. I was giving him early sixties.
0: Yeah, people did look rougher in the nineties. So yeah, early sixties probably.
1: As he's telling them the story, he recounts how he, an experienced detective at the time, which I highlighted because above average intelligence. Uh huh. I was an experienced detective and didn't solve this murder, so this guy must have been above, above average, average intelligence. <laughs> yep. Yes. And he says he was appalled by the murders as they happened in
0: 1933. Oh, just does a soliloquy about the horrors that he witnessed.
1: So I looked up some information about what other murders were happening in 1933 to make this detective so appalled by these five murders. Oh, okay. In 1933, I'm not going to read everybody who was murdered, but I have a couple that are at least as tragic
0: people having their livers ripped up
1: yes so george armwood was lynched in maryland which is pretty bad which is where we are
0: oh oh oh. (laughs) he didn't he didn't think that was too terrible i guess
1: that same year cordy creek who was 17 was lynched in tennessee by a mob that falsely accused him of raping a white woman
0: oh that old saw
1: we also, in 1933, had the Kansas City Massacre. You may have heard of Pretty Boy Floyd.
0: I have heard of Pretty Boy Floyd.
1: He uh, was involved with lots of murders around that time, and specifically, Kansas City Massacre happened in 1933.
0: That is uh, Robert Evans's cousin.
1: and finally Anna Marie Hahn was a serial killer in the United States who started her career in 1933 (laughs) she was alleged with poisoning and robbing elderly men it was in Cincinnati so maybe he hadn't heard about this So, you know, in 1933, maybe he heard about it later, but still, his reaction and the soliloquy he creates around these murders.
0: He compares it to the Holocaust.
1: It's appalling. I am a white lady, but I am still offended (laughs) by his comparison because it's so outlandish.
0: Five people having their livers ripped out is awful, pretty bad, but comparing it to the Holocaust, it's a step.
1: And lynchings were still regularly happening?
0: Regularly. Since he was a cop in 1933, I'm I'm not going to go too far out on this limb and say he probably participated in a few. That's why he thinks this is so tragic. It's probably in white people's livers. Every victim that we see is a white person. But
1: we don't see the 1903, 1933, no. and 1963.
0: Maybe Toomes is also racist, and since he's at least 90 years old as well,
1: it would make sense.
0: Well, he's probably at least he's over 100 because he's, he's over killing 100. people in 03. Now, hey, he may be immortal. Who knows? Right.
1: We don't have any idea of when he started. Records bef- before 1900, <laughs> if they're happening every 30 years.
0: Right. He's yeah. Toomes is also racist. I'm just saying it. <laughs> I'm taking a hard stance on this. (laughs)
1: Alright, Toombs is racist. After that, just extrapolates all of his feelings and pours them into... Circle Time Mulder. He gives them a box that he's been collecting evidence unofficially. And here's another thing that I want to bring up. This man retired whenever you said he retired. And back in 1963, when the the third round of murders that we know about in the X-Files came about, Briggs had a desk job. So he was unofficially investigating these things. In this box, he has all of the evidence. Where is evidence supposed to be?
0: Probably in the evidence room.
1: Probably not a nursing home, footlocker, unofficially.
0: Well, he retired five years after that, so it was absolutely a cold case at that point. I guess nobody missed it.
1: Even the liver in a jar? That was
0: so... <laughs> yeah. How did they get piece of the liver? Did Toombs just, like, myth? He must have done a really savage job on that person and tore the liver up real bad. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I have some questions for... Her. Detective Briggs and the ethics around his investigation (laughs) practices.
0: I'm going to say stealing evidence from the police in 1968. Not difficult, and I don't have a problem
1: with it. I just want to know about the liver in the jar.
0: How did they get it?
1: I want to know everything about the liver in the jar. Uh Then they leave Detective Briggs with the box of evidence that he's collected and kept with him. Mulder and Scully go over to the building where Toombs' record of residence. It's abandoned. It has been, what is the word? Condemned. Condemned, yes. It has been condemned. Nobody's living there. They search around. They find a hole. They crawl through walls. They go through a lot of stuff. They eventually find Toombs' trophy room. They find the trophies that he's collected over the years, including one from Mr. Verner's mantelpiece. They also find a nest made from rags and newspapers.
0: Oh, yeah. I wrote down, even before we went in here, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm above average intelligence. (laughs) So I was thinking, oh, does he go into stasis somehow? Does he hibernate? Is he a locust man? Locust man. And then we see that nest, and I'm like, ah, he hibernates. Is he a locust man?
1: and this is where a really good scene comes up where they're looking at the nest. Scully says, oh my God, Mulder, it smells like, and as she pauses, Mulder touches something sticky with his bare hands. Why would he do that? And she said, I think it's bile. And he says, is there any way I can get it off my fingers quickly without betraying my cool exterior?
0: You sticking your fingers (laughs) in it betrays your cool exterior because why?
1: It had to smell so rank and then he just touched it with his bare fingers. She
0: doesn't put her face up against it or anything. No. She just smells it from where she's at, like two feet behind him.
1: Yeah, it's oh it's gross. It's so gross. So they find the little nest and the trophy room and everything. And as they're leaving, Scully gets caught on something. Then she gets uncaught on something. And then she leaves. And we see Tombs has taken a necklace. Uh, Mulder grabs it from her in this scene prior. And it's a long necklace with a pendant that's hanging just b- between her breasts. And he reaches over and grabs it. It was not a thing that someone you're not intimate with should be <laughs> doing to you. <laughs>
0: Oh, they'd known each other at least three three (laughs) weeks. That's
1: right. Her personal space was his personal space. So, Toombs has Scully's necklace, which there's a lot of problems with this scene, too. Sorry, Mr. Longstreet.
0: Because he doesn't take trophies before he kills anybody for any other victim.
1: Right. Okay.
0: That's all I got. What do you got?
1: The angle of where he was oh. and how she gets caught and how she's getting uncaught. So he is apparently hanging from the rafters. This is a condemned building. There aren't rafters. This is a an old apartment building. So he's hanging from the plaster ceiling with his little... Well,
0: it's an old building. So there's definitely exposed wood.
1: Okay. Stuff. So we'll give him the exposed wood beams that he's hanging from. Fine. But he's still above her. And he reaches down to grab this necklace... He doesn't touch her hair, which her hair is long enough. He would have to (laughs) lift her hair to get to the necklace chain around her neck. He would also have to touch her skin if he was going to get the necklace off of her that way. So are we supposed to assume that from the ceiling, he reaches down in front of her body to grab this dangling necklace and then grab it in a way that she's trying to unhook it from down by her hip?
0: That's Okay, so as you were explaining this, I was thinking about how she tries to unhook herself. I'm caught on something from her hip. Maybe he snagged her by her hip as a distraction.
1: Ooh, because he's stretched?
0: Because he can stretch. He's a stretchy boy. And uh, magicians who do sleight of hand take people's necklaces and watches and stuff. Okay. As long as they distract them. So, you know what? I'm giving it up to Toombs here. Good job, Stretchy boy.
1: You know what? I take it back, Mr. Longstreet. Good job. Yep. We've talked ourselves into it. Yeah. (laughs) Except he does take the trophy first. However, to be fair, again, to the story, we don't know what he's done with the trophies.
0: 63, Mm -hmm. 1880... 1873.
1: We don't actually know anything except these last two who were businessmen in very accessible buildings. (laughs) And he's taken the trophies since then. Okay. Okay. Talked ourselves in a circle and came back to this. This is a great show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming back again for a 180 and say it makes no sense to go after her. It doesn't. He knows she's an FBI agent. He knows she's armed. He knows she's been trained to do stuff. It makes no sense for her to go after him unless he is not above average intelligence. He's literally just an animal.
1: Yes. She poses a threat and now she's in his sights.
0: Yeah. So which is the
1: only way that she would be in his sights.
0: That's the only explanation for why he would go after her. Because he sees her her as a threat. Not Mulder. Nope, not Mulder. Her. It lends itself to the story, and it lends itself to your theory of the only reason they say criminals are above average intelligence is to make themselves feel
1: better. Glad we clarified that. I'm sure we will be re-clarifying it and doubling down just as much as they are about this above average intelligence.
0: Because they're going to say it in, like, every third episode. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And we're just going to point out why that doesn't make any sense. Now we're in Act 4. We're at 66 Exeter Street at 1130 a.m. Mulder is waiting outside Toombs' building. When Agents Kennedy and Kramer arrive, Mulder reminds them of their objective, saying, We're looking for Toombs. He's not armed, but consider him dangerous, so don't approach him by yourselves. Adding that he and Scully will be back to relieve them in eight hours if Tooms doesn't show up. Kennedy, being his good old boy self, jokingly refers to Mulder by his nickname, Spooky, as he exits the car. It's just ridiculous, but sets up a scene where next where in an office building and scully is getting ready to wrap up whatever she's been working on colton bursts into the room and is just acting like he's just throwing a tantrum just
0: an absolute fit
1: he's just throwing a fit colton comes in throws a
0: fit he might as well be rolling on the floor kicking. and
1: kick, kicking. kicking yes yeah. she doesn't take that one personally which <laughs> good, good job good job and as she's we won't go through the whole thing but he's just throwing a fit because his ego is bruised again she says is this what it looks like to climb the ladder to success and he said something like every rung and and she said i can't wait to see you fall off that ladder and land on your ass pretty nice it was good and then she leaves as she's leaving she calls Mulder's phone but he doesn't answer and she's driving home because the oh the stakeout part of the whole fit was that the stakeout was canceled so she was supposed to go meet Mulder she can't get a hold of him she goes home and we see that Tombs is outside watching her from across the street we are now at 66 Exeter Street 725 p.m. when Mulder's coming back to relieve the agents Mulder drives up to Tombs's building and is surprised that no one is there waiting for him he runs inside so he was thinking that maybe they had gone inside
0: i think he knew what was going on and he was just angry and he had to see if Toombs was there because he Ah. knew that nobody had been watching okay
1: no that makes sense yeah i was thinking he might have thought scully went inside but scully's smarter than okay so that makes sense anyway it's a short scene he runs into the building it cuts to scully's apartment she's getting ready for a bath We see tombs through the window, cuts back to Mulder. He goes back to the trophy room and finds Scully's necklace. And then he rushes out again. Mulder's very rushed in this whole scene. Then there's a fight scene in Scully's apartment. I won't read through a play-by-play of what happens, but Scully's getting ready for a bath. Some bile drips on her hand. And I do want to mention this, because there was no bile mentioned at any of the other scenes.
0: Or found. It's like he was going to nest there.
1: But he already had a nest. Maybe because they found his nest?
0: Yeah, but it's not like they wouldn't find this one even if he had killed her. Right. Somebody would go check out her place.
1: The bile doesn't make any sense.
0: It It was just for dramatic effect.
1: So it also alerts her that he's there. She knows that he's there. She goes and...
0: Goes for a gun, which is not there. Because again, an FBI agent without a gun, (laughs) who's actively pursuing... A serial killer.
1: She's running around. Does she eventually get her gun?
0: She does get her gun, but then he knocks her down. Yeah. And she drops her gun. He grabs her. She crawls away into the bathroom where her gun is, but the gun is never seen again.
1: That's true.
0: It slipped into a black hole or was teleported by aliens.
1: Oh, that's where the aliens come into this episode. Right. As they're fighting, Scully is holding her own with this Tombs fellow.
0: The guy who's strong enough to rip livers directly out of your body with his bare hands.
1: She's not having, she's, she is struggling with him, but she's not overpowered by him in any way, shape, or form that would really cause you much anxiety about this fight scene. Right. (laughs) Um, he gets on top of her and does this little thing with his hand like he's going to grab her liver. Like he's a karate chopper. Karate chop her liver. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Mulder bursts into the door. He does have his gun at this point. Toombs jumps up to run away. <laughs> Scully sla- body slams him into the window.
0: Yeah, it was pretty good.
1: It was good. But then she was in the way of the gun. But then she got she gets him. She handcuffs him to the tub.
0: Pretty nice. As he was going to karate chop Mulder.
1: Yes. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Because now he's just apparently karate chopping everybody. (laughs)
0: Karate chops your liver. That's how he gets it.
1: Cut back to Detective Briggs. He's looking through paper. We get this over-the-shoulder shot of the paper. There are some really horrific headlines. I didn't write them down. I wish I had.
0: I wrote one of them down. Okay, go ahead. I wrote down, no more bailouts. And I went, ooh, 1993. I think I know what this bailout is. It's the savings and loan
1: bailout. Oh, Wow. So
0: a couple good thing a couple good things. A couple neat things about the savings and loan bailout was it uh, it started in eighty-nine and just continued for four years. They just kept dishing out money to these people who had committed just serious fraud. And defrauded the american people and they were like well we can't let the savings and loan industry die so we'll just keep giving them money one of the coolest bits about that a person who received a ton of money from the savings and loan bailout a guy from bain capital uh name of mitt romney oh my gosh if it were not for the uh, savings and loan bailout mitt romney would never uh, would never have amassed such a fortune
1: Wow. Okay, so Detective Briggs is (laughs) relieved to the point of tears. He was so relieved when Toomes' picture showed up that the serial killer had been caught. Remember all the lynchings back when he was a cop?
0: Yeah, Yeah, that he probably participated in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Finally, we are in the prison wherever they're keeping tombs. He's in confinement. He has the same paper that Detective Briggs has, and he's ripping it up and he's licking it and throwing it into a corner.
0: He's making a nest in the solitary confinement cell. You think that worked? You think he was able to just hibernate for a while?
1: Well, no, actually. I think he got out.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot. They showed the, yeah, they end the episode with the, showing a little meal slot that he's like, I, I.
1: And he was imprisoned in this impenetrable room. Right. <laughs> with a meal slot that he or meal slot he could get out of. Which apparently he hadn't noticed until somebody slid food through. Maybe he was yeah. you know what? Maybe he was super depressed.
0: Also it was not open. They can open a closet.
1: That's true. I figure he could figure out how to get out of it though. Well, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, he hadn't considered it. He was going to make his new nest. But what was he going to do? How long would he hibernate on four livers instead of five?
0: Well, if you do 30 years on six livers, five livers, uh, 30, that's six, six years, so 24 years. He can hibernate 24 years.
1: All right. So I guess that's what we're assuming. His metabolism is real slow, y'all.
0: Yeah. Good for him. That's why he's so skinny.
1: No. Slow metabolism.
0: Oh, right. You hold right. on
1: to all of your calories. Yeah. Okay. Fast metabolism.
0: He's, he's so skinny because he's stretchy. Yes. Yes. He's actually stretched out like that. He's a uh, uh, normally he's a foot and a half. Oh! <laughs> he's stretched out to look like a normal human.
1: Wow! Oh, that's got a it got to do a number on your bones and tendons.
0: Not if they're designed to do that.
1: I guess that's true. So we see him in the cell. He's been captured, but I mean, has he really? And that's so. it. This was the first episode in the Monster of the Week series that we will be seeing throughout X-Files. The first two episodes were in line with the alien arc that we'll be talking about. And this one, as you have probably noticed, didn't feature any aliens.
0: I did, except for whoever teleported, uh, Scully's got them.
1: That's right! The aliens took it. Do you have anything else to add? What What did you feel about this?
0: We've got our segments Oh, to we do. do!
1: Yes! I want to start with survival because I have a very easy way to survive this. Now,
0: I've got a pretty good one too.
1: How I would survive this, at this point, at the times that we find out about tombs, just don't be alone. Makes sense. For like five days
0: serial killers out to get you don't be alone
1: it's he's never attacking people who have anyone else around like and you don't even have to be in the same room it's basically if you're in a house or a building or well, that's it it's just yeah. a house or a building <laughs> and another person is present you're fine
0: you're calling it how to survive I keep calling it a solution because okay. I'm, I'm trying to solve the thing ah. so my solution to this is just let him get the fifth and <laughs> future Mulder and Scully can handle it they can I deal see. with it
1: 2023. Yeah, because my, my a, whole...
0: it's a problem for 2023, Mulder and Scully. All right. <laughs> so I want to know who you're shipping.
1: I'm shipping. Oh no, you have to go first because I think I almost took yours.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I am shipping uh, Tombs and the old detective. Yep. Because the old detective is clearly obsessed with him, and I think it's I think it's a little bit more than I want
1: to solve this crime. You think it's love?
0: I, th- I think he doesn't recognize it, but I think it's
1: love. Oh. I was going to say that too, but I, I now don't, I had you go first because I couldn't remember if you had told me, I think you must have told me. Or you saw my notes. Possibly. Yeah. So it was, I'm giving this one to you, but I am agreeing wholeheartedly <laughs> that the amount of emotion from Detective Briggs toward Tombs Yeah. is more than just a, a little unsolved case. Wasn't ever able to put to bed.
0: Nice. Do you have another one just off the top of your head real quick or...
1: Um, I would also like to ship Tombs and Colton.
0: Tombs and Colton just, oh, just to have Colton's liver ripped out?
1: <laughs> Pop, that, you know what, if that became the end game, it's that's part of it. But, mainly because I think it would be so fantastic for Colton, who was too afraid to ask for Mulder's help with this obvious X-File, and then backed down when he got teased by his teammates, I would love for him to fall just head over heels in love with an X-file.
0: Ah, okay. I like it.
1: Because then what is he going to do? Is he going to listen to his heart? Or is he going to struggle with his brain and his ego? So really, it didn't have anything to do with liver.
0: Well, that's episode three. We have now officially made it as long as ABC's Wicked City. (laughs)
1: I don't know what that is. Well, it's because
0: it was canceled after three episodes. (laughs) It was a a crime thriller set in 1982 Los Angeles. Ooh, during a rock and roll, cocaine-infused revelry of the Sunset Strip. There's a serial killer out there. It was starring uh, Jeremy Sisto, who you might know as Elton. From the Alicia Silverstone. Clueless. Oh! And from Clueless. And Gabriel Luna, who uh, was on True Detective. And
1: All right, we, we have done that.
0: We are as good as them.
1: Oh, good.
0: Well, until next week, keep watching the skies. <laughs> you come up with a tag.
1: <laughs> no, I liked it. I thought you were going to stop. <laughs>
0: The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and David Reed. This episode edited by David Reed. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. You can email us at thecastfiles at gmail.com. That's the with two E's. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's at D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful day.